Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning, my friends out there in Blog Talk Radio land. I'm sitting here on the fence about whether or not I'm going to the pen relays. It's the last day of the pen relays. Believe it or not, I've lived here in the Philly area for over t- I'm about about 20 years or more. I haven't gone to the pen relays yet, and I love track and cross country. Can you imagine that? I know it's going to be packed. There's like probably over 100,000 people there. I'm on the fence about that, but this is what I am going doing this Saturday morning, and that's the office radio show, as always. Love, love, love the show. Love connecting with each of you, and I want to say hello to you. The last Saturday in April, this is the last Saturday for April 2013, and want to thank you all again for joining us here this morning. I just love, love connecting with each of you. I wish there was some kind of way. I used to, when I started at at, at uh, Blake Radio, Neil Blake, and that, and that station's still still there, and I was on the Rainbow Soul Channel. He always said I, he wanted to get all the, the, um, the the uh show the show the host together and tour the country so we could meet all of our listeners it would just be a pleasure if i could meet each each listener and each person who has supported my books in person what a what a what a treat for those who are saying who is this lady talking i don't even know who this lady is i just happen to turn come across the dial and turn to off the shelf i want to introduce myself to you i'm your host denise turney and as i always say i'm coming to you live from philadelphia pennsylvania the city of brotherly love and i encourage you please don't let this day go by without getting a copy of love pour over me if you say you know what there's just too much there's too much risk in it for me it's only three dollars it's only three dollars. You get an ebook copy for three dollars, and I've been writing for oh my goodness, I've been writing for about forty years. That's a long time. I'm telling my age, but I started when I was very, 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 very young. <laughs> but uh, uh, so I've, I've my writing has gotten better and better. And you're not going to get a book by somebody who just started out writing. And I have a wonderful, wonderful editor that I work with. Out out in uh, California. So please go get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. And the book really centers around a father-son relationship. And uh, most people, when they first start reading it, they cannot stand the father. Oh, they do not like, they do not like him any. They cannot stand him. And then uh, as when the story ends, it is my hope that people will see how both the father and the son have evolved. And the son is not at home the whole way through the story. Actually, much of it, he doesn't live at home. I just give the background of his childhood, and you can see the relationship with his father, and that's where people get angry. And then in the end, you can see, because the son's a, he's a, he's a athletic standout. He's an awesome track runner and when i say awesome i mean like one of the top in the whole world and he makes friends with uh some very very talented folks when he goes to college in pennsylvania so um his life is full is rich there's so much to do but can we outrun our childhoods can we ever fully do that and maybe if we evolve enough we can which is what 
You'll you'll get to see an experience when you read Love Pour Over Me, and you'll see why that would be the main character Raymond's plea, which would be for many of us and not all of us, Love Pour Over Me. So I, I get me out of these situations and, and let my life just be filled with love. So when you read the book, particularly the very beginning, and you get glimpses of Raymond's childhood and his relationship with his father, I think you will fully understand the title Love pour over me. Other things you're going to get when you read the book, you're going to get a marvelous romance that that Raymond shares with Brenda. The love, the absolute love of his life. Mystery. There's a murder mystery tucked in this story. It's going to keep you hanging, turning the pages, wondering who did it, who did it, who did it. Some high chase scenes that really get you get your heart pumping. <laughs> they really get your heart pumping and making you feel like you're actually right there. Oh my god, oh my god. As these scenes as these scenes uh unfold and loads and loads of entertainment and you're gonna walk away thinking. You might even think about your own self and how you, you relate to people and how something in your childhood might impact even your relationships today or or how they might impact somebody you know and how they relate to you today. So I encourage you to get love pour over me. It is a powerfully moving book that you really are going to want to add to your book collection if you are somebody who values love and you you like a good you like a good mystery and you like romance, you're going to get all of that in this story, and it's going to be authentic and genuine. And when you put it down, I hope that you will be changed somehow in a good way, the same way that the characters themselves are changed. It's a slow change, but you'll see it when you when you reach the end. And you can get a copy of Love Pour Over Me today by visiting uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Google Books, iTunes, ebookit.com, Walmart, etc. is online and offline. And if you don't see it on the shelves, just ask the clerk for it because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And I actually took a little longer to do the intro because I am waiting for um I'm waiting for today's guest to call in and the the odd thing is um Almost everybody, this is something that I do appreciate, I have to tell you, but almost everybody who comes on uh, off the shelf now asks to be on the show. Almost everybody. I, I I don't go out and get guests anymore, so they almost all ask me, uh, can I be on the show? I want to go out to the author and ask her to dial in right now. So please dial into your uh shall start at eleven. Okay. Uh I have to do this sometimes. This is one thing about being um doing radio and I always wonder what do people who do huge huge radio shows where there are millions and millions and millions of people who tune in. I often wonder what do they do when uh a guest is either late and I'm pretty flexible. When a guest is either late 
or doesn't show up, especially a guest that asks to be on the show, they're either late or they don't show up. I often wonder if you're on a major, major radio station. I would imagine, just like with many of you in your personal lives, they probably have somebody, I think she just dialed in, hanging in the wings. So let's see, get her to connect. Angel? Hello. Yes, hi, how are you? I was having a little bit of difficulty calling in. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, I just I just kept talking and I said, let me shoot her an email because I've had it where guests didn't show up at all, and then I had to just work my way through the show. But like I tell our guests, I keep it moving, I'm flexible, and I stay positive. So I thank you for connecting. And now I want to introduce you. I've already introduced the show. So for our off-the-shelf listeners, we're going to go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest. And our special guest today is Angel Floyd. Angel, she's a psychologist, a wife, and a mother. She's also the author of the books The House, Keeper of Secrets, and Seasons of Perda, which is her latest book. And this creative dynamo is online at www.angelfloyd, and I'll spell it, a-N-J-U-E-L-L-E-F-L-O-Y-D.com. And again, that's A-N-J-U-E-L-L-E-F-L-O-Y-D.com. We're delighted to have her, and we're glad she joined us. How many times? Not a lot, but if I had to work my way through a show. But we are delighted to have her with us today on Off the Shelf. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Angel. Thank you for having me. Again, I apologize for having difficulty calling in. Um, yeah, I'm glad to be back. You you were a wonderful host uh, about a year ago, and thank you for having me back. Well, we're, we're happy to have you. I want to just start off talking about your latest book uh, when I was doing the research for, and I love the cover. Is that a, is that is that a is that picture on the cover a picture of you and your siblings? No, actually, I it's it's an image that I that I purchased. Um, I didn't start out with this on the this image on my cover um but after a year i kept going back to that image and i decided to add it so i added it and so far the um the response has been really positive people like the image yeah it is good it's 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 catchy now in seasons of perda you examine how growing up and can challenges the very root of a of a childhood friendship. We think about our our friends from when we're kids. We think we're going to be friends with them forever. We're they're going to always be in our lives. And I think it's fascinating that you covered uh, this 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 subject. Why did you te- decide to take on this life as life event or this approach in your novel? You know, it wasn't something that I planned. It kind of just worked itself out. Um, I'll just say briefly that I started this book, you know, really wanting to examine the life of a, of a person who had lost their sight as a result of a character from another book, a character that was a secondary character, uh, the the um, husband of a, a character in another book who had lost his sight. And, um, you know, I, I actually, that book, that the, the book of, this other book, I'd written it many years ago, and it happened to be in in the offices of, of a couple of agents during 9-11, and they just did not think uh, that you know, a blind person could be doing all these things. And so as a result, I started, and I knew that that was not true because I had seen, you know, many documentaries on the various things that 
mm-hmm. people who could not see, physically see, could do. And so I, I actually was in a writing group where we just kind of used the group as a way to come up with new things. And I started out this, you know, we could just write free writing. We would just share it with people. And I had started this scene where this woman was going into surgery to see if she could, you know, the, the surgeons could return her sight. And when I finished the scene, I looked up and everyone in the group was looking at me like, you can't stop. We have to know what's going to happen. So I just kept writing. And, and of course, then as you write, the, the story, the backstory unfolds. And, of course, the backstory of this book. And the front story is that, you know, these people have, the major characters to hell, has these two best friends, um, mm-hmm. her husband Titus and um, his and and. and this other guy that they went to school with, Carl, and, and when she loses her sight, they, they both have some, they both want to make her better, and it, you know, it, it kind of makes life difficult for everybody, you know, so. Okay, okay, okay. Now, can you describe Sale, I hope they're saying their names correctly, is it Sale and her friends, Carrie and Titus's, what is their childhood relationship like? And where where well, do they live? That's another question. Oh, Sahel. Well, all of my stories, excuse me, all my stories are based here in Oakland. Um, you know, I li- I've been living here since 1991, and I like it. It's I've had two kids here. Out of my three, I've had I've given birth to two years. So this is kind of my home. I'm originally from the East Coast, but Oakland is my home. And um, they grew up. They were born and they were raised here. Um, they grew up. I mean, as children living on the same street and playing in Sahel's backyard. Carl's mother lived down the street, farther down the street from Sahel's house, but Titus's mother lived practically next door. And Titus's mother, um, Cecile and Titus and um, Sahel's mother, Lillian, they were both from um, the South, Louisiana and Alabama. And they became very close you know, closer than each other was with their respective sisters. Mm-hmm. And um, they would sit out on the, the front porch while the kids would play in the back. And if you read the book, what you see in memories is that Carl and Titus helped Sahel make mud cakes. That was their make, thing. What, you say and, mud cakes? Yeah, you mud, cakes. mud cakes. I used to make mud oh. cakes. Yeah, they... And so, you know, Carl would, um, I have to get this right, get it right. I think Carl would bring the dirt and um, Titus would bring the water. And they would make the mud cakes and um, they would lay them out to dry. And that was their thing, you know, and um, they grew up doing that. So, uh, and then they, you know, they went to school, they, they attended church together they belonged to the same parish they went to the same catholic school k through um i think fifth grade i there was a two year two years where titus went away but then he came back and they went through junior high and they went through um high school together and they went to college together but then of course carl and titus went on to medical school but over in the city at UCSF, while um, Sahel went to Cal and she became a psychologist. What? So, uh, and, and then there was a two-year period that, that that Titus went away and came back. So it's, but they 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 basically grown up together. And in the story, they're now in their thirties and they're 
still together, you know, uh, but, you know, dealing with this issue of her losing her sight. This is the odd thing. Every time I, I, I don't know why when I'm reading, um, when I'm researching this the story and reading excerpts from it, your work, I, this piece in particular, I always see it in the Middle East. I don't know why. I can't get my, and when you said Oakland, I was like, wow. I don't know why, in my mind, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the girl's name, Sahel, or what it is, but I always see the Middle East. This story is set in the Middle East. I don't know why I do that. I wanted to ask. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's you can see that. Um, One of the things is that um, Sahel's father is Ghanaian, so her name Sahel is from the part of the Sahara Desert that sits between. it's it's a it's a stretch of land that sits between various countries or you know places where people live. It stretches across the uh, the uh, the 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 northernmost area of the sub-Saharan. You know, once you come from North Africa through the Sahara Desert, as you exit the Sahara Desert, coming into Chad and Niger and those those sub-Saharan countries, you you cross into this place called the Sahel. And it's it's a place that people can go into and come out of and survive. You know, nomads travel there. Um, um, another major character in the story, James, who's African-American, um, he is a broker at a, a stockbroker at a brokerage firm that's owned by uh, a South Asian, a man from, from Rajasthan. And so uh, there's that going on, and then the whole idea of Perda. Perda is an ancient, um, an ancient way of marrying that is known to ancient Rajasthan in India. And basically, the way Perda works is that it's it's something that you know five or six hundred years ago, um, wealthy fathers would seek to marry their daughters in, to a man a wealthy man that would place them in Perda. Now, today we would probably, as women, see that as prison because basically the way Perda works is a woman would marry this wealthy man, go into his huge estate, and she would never come out again. Wow. Um, okay. But if you see it in terms of what was going on four or five or six hundred years ago, you have to remember there were no immunizations. There was a lot of plagues, a lot of poverty. Uh, the world was dangerous. And, you know, they wanted a wealthy father would want to see her, his daughter protected. And so she would marry this man and everything that she would want would be brought into her. You know, if she was when she would have dresses made, the uh, seamstresses would come in with the cloth there and let her choose if she wanted books. Uh, she would be raised. You know, in a way, it's kind of like I was talking on another radio show the other day, and I said it's kind of like the queen, you know. She doesn't really come out of the castle that much, the Duchess of um, of Cambridge. Um, the same thing with our president. I mean, the White House is there for the president and his family's protection. Yes, they do travel, but, you know, oftentimes it's much easier to bring people there I think right. Obama was saying that he, uh, President Obama was saying that he likes to bring in um, entertainers that sing songs that his daughters like. So if you kind of think of it in that way, I think you kind of you get a better understanding of it than a husband keeping mm-hmm. his wife in prison. 
Okay, okay. Now, why did you make Sahil Hoheen blind, then give her the ability to see into other people's souls? Well, you know, I think that um, any time we encounter a difficulty, whether it's physical or not, I think there is this opportunity for growth. I mean, I, I think we've all heard that, you know, when we lose our sight, all of our other senses become heightened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do believe that there is this sixth sense this that we all have. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, her being a, a, her being a psychologist mm-hmm. and having gone through her own trials and also the fact that she had a near-death experience, I think this is, that's the key piece. This, this is what she pulls away from that um, near-death experience. And, um, and clearly it has a purpose in her life. It, it, it clearly has a purpose in her life. Wow, because most people wouldn't look at something like that as a good thing. Usually we see it as a loss, and we don't see it had, could be connected to a purpose, although I, I can see where it could be, but generally if it happened to me, I don't think I would look at it that way. But that's the the gift of writing, to take something like that and and, and use it. Now, now, while looking into people's souls, does she see things that she regrets seeing? And also, I this question, is, she can see so much looking into other people's souls. Is she able to see clearly about herself or when it comes to herself? Does she have blind spots? Well, I think that's I think that's what you're bringing up is is at the crux of it. I mean, she, she this experience she she pulls this experience of seeing into people's souls or or experiencing you know on a greater on a great level of empathy what they've undergone as a result of trying to take her own life. You know, oh. she felt that she was she felt that she was a burden. And she wanted to end her life um, having lost her sight. I mean, she's used to being a helper, not being the one that's helped. Ah. So her sight, you know, it's like, okay. Uh, but then again, things never go the way we think they're going to go. Um, she tries to commit suicide. And what ends up happening is that she tries to commit suicide and meets the soul of a person who has jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge at the same time that she. Oh, so this person pill. isn't living. This person isn't living. This person actually tried to commit suicide at the very moment that she did, but died. And when she when she gets into this place that I'll kind of call purgatory, she's like, "No, I'm here." I, she doesn't say she's dead, but later on, Sahel learns she's dead. She goes, no, I'm here, but you have to go back. And, of course, that's not what she counted on. She counted on dying, and then she goes back, and she has, and she's looking, and she observes at the hurt that, you know, her family, her father, her soon-to-be stepmother, her two friends who are working to save her, um, they go through and so for every action there's a reaction okay wow well i think that you the the, the way you the top, way you're taking this on is just 
very, very intriguing. Does her ability to see people's souls help or hinder her psychology work? I, I, I could just imagine that struggle. How do you keep it with the technical, the scientific aspect of of psychology? Wow. How do you remain – how do you just well, remain – I think at this point she's no longer she is I mean she clearly is a psychologist but at this point she's fighting for her own understanding and she's trying to figure out what's happening in her life and she's trying to find her way back to being in a place where she would she wants to she she's able to sit with clients and I think it highlights that we as therapists don't come to this world work because we are healed. We actually come to this work because we are working to be working to gain healing. And by working with our clients, they teach us as well as we facilitate them. And um, I think this is this is a side view of of her having to step outside of, of her work when she loses her sight because it's, it's an accident and it's, it's, it's um, abrupt and she has to step outside of her work or profession and do her own inner work. Wow. You know what? You make a, you make a good point. I think most, most of us, we look at a doctor and I'm sure they learn a lot themselves about, I'm talking about a, like a physical healing. They learn through their. They you actually learn through the people you're actually trying to help. You learn. I'm sure ministers learn a lot about themselves when they keep coming across similar issues or common issues in others. And then same thing with psychologists. And that's amazing. It's almost like does the universe even pair psychologists up, ministers, you name it, with these certain types of people <laughs> so you can help. Well, yeah. Learn. I mean, we. There's a belief that our our we don't choose our clients, they choose us. And they choose us not simply because we can facilitate them in healing that you know, we have we have an a unique understanding, but they choose us because we also need to do the work uh with them so that we can grow in our own right, both as therapists and as individuals. Wow. Wow, that's powerful. Um, and you don't often hear that, so I appreciate you sharing that. Now, as a doctor, does Sahel ever consider getting surgery so she can see? I don't want to give the story away, but does she ever think, well, you know what? Oh, and how old is she when she loses her sight? Can you tell us that she's, much? I think she's 33, 33, 34, because uh, okay. the story takes place over a year. Um the problem with that she faces and that really comes between, because there's a love triangle, like she said, there's a love triangle between her and Titus and Carl, even though she's married to Titus. And that triangle's been there ever since they've been kids. Um, but the problem is while Titus is a heart surgeon and clearly, you know, he's, this is not his specialty. T- Carl is the neurosurgeon. Uh, the the problem is that she has an aneurysm, and okay. the an and and surgery. There's a fifty percent chance that she could die, in in they're trying to drain the aneurysm and bring back her sight, and um, 
after she, you know, tries to commit suicide and fails and sees what her death could cause people, she doesn't want to, she doesn't want to risk that again. At the same time, her mother had a serious heart condition. She knows what that's like to, to, to see someone, you know, what she feels, you know, be dependent on other people. So she's torn. Do I have the surgery mm-hmm. and risk death or being brain dead, or do I just, you know, learn to live without my sight? And that's a hard one because her husband just doesn't want that for her. And, and there's, a various, there's a reason for that. You have to read the book for that. But, but her husband wants her to have her sight back. He wants everything perfect. But like everything in life, or most things in life, it just doesn't kind of work that way. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's she's struggling with all these things. Okay, okay. And she, she's got a lot going on, which can keep the reader fully engaged, to see, especially if they come to care about her, to see what, what, what happens to her. Now, at your official website, it shares this regarding Sahel's situation. It's the actions and events that follow that lead Sahel to realize it's not in the purpose of our actions, but in the integrity of our intent that we find grace that leads us to redemption. Now, how does Sahel, how does Sahel discover her friend's true intentions? Well, you know, it's it's another it's a, it's another place of, you know, how can I say, cause and effect. Um, when Sahel lost her sight, she also and quite responsibly transferred her clients to other therapists. But in doing that, she also kind of went overboard and was going to um, give up. She was going to surrender her license to practice therapy. And that Carl just said, no, you can't do and so he worked along with another psychiatrist to prevent her from doing that, which is a great thing, and she's very thankful. But along the way, he did some other things. Mm. And um, that comes out at the end of the story. Um, I mean, he loved her. Mm-hmm. And when he... What happens is when she loses her sight, she chooses to marry Titus. If she had not lost her yeah, she had not lost her sight. She never would have wow. chosen to marry one of them. And and there's a reason why. There's I mean there's this is a full story. It's it's and there it's a love triangle, like I said, that's gone on from childhood and Wow. Well once she choose once this happens and she chooses to marry Titus, it sets off a whole string of events that forces her to really look at her life and 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 look at where her heart really is and go where her heart really is. Wow. Can you tell us about some of the other characters and seasons in Perda? These characters that just make readers want to just keep absorbing more of the story and turning the pages. Well, I think James is a really loving and interesting character. She meets James on the very first night that she go that she she goes out. Her husband, the health husband, is is being 
awarded Surgeon of the Year. And they've been married for about eight months. And mm-hmm. it's Indian summer. Here in California, we have Indian summer. Our summers are cool, but our fall is, is rather warm. And so she's at this nice event, very nervous, doesn't know how she's going to get through the eating portion. And her father's um, girlfriend, because her mother has died, is there, and she introduces the hell to this guy named James Bolton. James has a terminal illness, and there's a whole story behind that. James, like her, is carrying his own burden. And um, he's related to this person that tried to commit suicide the same day that Sahel did. Sahel doesn't know anything about him, but she meets him, and within, well, within, I would say, 30 minutes, when he first looks at her, he senses someone's spirit. He senses the the spirit of his fiancée, and he asks her, do you believe in reincarnation? And for someone that's lost their sight, and everyone's been very careful around them for the last eight months, she seizes this because this is a person that's, you know, talking to her in, a, in real terms, in, in very serious terms. You, know, you have to remember, at this point, she's, she's tried to commit suicide and, and, and sees what that can do to people. So she, their friendship really catalyzes her to, to um, not only get back out in life, but Jane, it gives her the opportunity to help someone. And it's because of her, because of her relationship with James, she realizes her ability to, to see into people's souls. I'll just say one of the things that James was wrongfully accused of someone's death, and when he was in jail, he was, he was, um, he was sexually assaulted, and um, that's a hard. I mean, that's a hard thing for anybody, but it's very hard yeah. for a man. Right. And, and she's there for him, and um, and she knows that you know that he has this terminal illness, and so you know there's you know by working with him, she comes to see that you know I may not be able to see, but I certainly can be there for people. I can still do my work. He brings her out of her shell. Wow. Wow. How much research did you do for the book? You're writing, and I'm thinking about the movie, The Sin of a Woman, that Al Pacino was in. He did a phenomenal job. But how much research did you do? Did you did you, did you you study or talk to anybody who doesn't have their physical sight to really pull this authentic, make this authentic for the Sahel character? And then other aspects of it. How much research did you do for Seasons in Perda? Well, I did do a lot of research um, just here in the Bay Area, since that's where the story is taking place, as to what they have available for people to who have lost their sight to 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 learn how to get back in life and to live independently. And and I was surprised there's an awful lot. Um, there's a point where Sahel does go into uh, she enters her training program, and I all of that I created through the research that I did by calling the center and talking to to people to find out how their, their program works. Um, and also I did research on, you know, how you use a cane and 
you know, um, just the, the the basics of, of how you want to learn how to use your cane. I always wonder how do people, how do blind people know where they're going and, and how do they, do they count paces? What do they do? And, and so I, I did research for that. Um, when it comes to the medical part, I, you know, I had my bachelor's in health science and I, before I had my children, I worked in hospitals. So I kind of, you know, I, I was able to do that fairly quickly. Um, but I think the basic research was, you know, learning about all the different programs and, and computers and things that people who don't have their sight have available to them. As it regards Perda, I've actually been to India, and I've kind of stumbled upon this after I came back, um, this this institution of marriage, Perda. I'd been to Rajasthan. I didn't know that this was, a unique institution, um, and I think one of the things I learned that was very interesting was that when India gained its independence in 1950, uh, one, in, in Rajasthan, one of the people that was a person that was elected into public office in Rajasthan was a woman who had been in Perth for 40 years, and I remember reading about how she brought so much, you know, what she brought with her came from all the time she'd had when she was in Perda to read and do whatever she wanted to do. So I found that very interesting. It, it was like Perda gave a woman the opportunity to just really explore anything she wanted to explore. You yeah, you could see that, yeah. You wouldn't have the you wouldn't have to worry about from the way you described it earlier, the way it was years and years ago, you wouldn't have to worry about getting a job or none of that. And I, oh, you yeah. could you could you could see it, you know, and this is what this is interesting with anything in life. You could see it as a prison, like I can't get out there, I can't get out of out of further. Or you could use it to, I don't have these concerns that other people would have, and so let me just really enjoy exploring my my environment. It would be a catch twenty two because you can't go, you can't leave Perda, and I don't know how big it is. You can't leave it. And yet, and still, you have the freedom that other concerns that uh, where we might say, I have to take the job because I have to pay my bills. You don't have that. So you have the freedom in that regard, I think, to do more of what you would want to do. But then you can't leave part. <laughs> so it's like a catch-22 in a way. Well, you know, that it's interesting because Caesars and Perla is the year. It's The book is divided up into... The various seasons it starts it opens in Indian summer, then it goes into autumn, win- then winter, then spring, then Indian summer, and the seasons in Perda is really Hell's journey. She needed a place to go and heal. She needed a place to do this inner work to get herself together to go back out in the world, and so the book chronicles her time in Perda. Wow. I mean, I just think this story as I'm talking to you and I'm sure our listeners also since you really go deep into your characters and that that's that psychologist <laughs> would imagine you you can tell just from just from this interview that you create very in-depth characters with complicated storylines that they have to work through. What have readers been saying to you about Seasons in Perda? Well, it's interesting. I haven't had, um, I've only got three interviews, three reviews online, two of which were, 
I think they, I actually just learned that um, my uh, Kindle format version of Seasons in Perda, and that's my mm-hmm. only electronic version for sale, it's been corrupted. And so two uh, of the um, reviewers complained about that. And I, I actually thanked one of them from New Zealand, and I said, let me just send you um, a paperback copy. But the woman, one of the reviews, one of the reviews is very good. I, uh, but I think one of the most unique reviews is on Goodreads. This woman was in Philippines and she wasn't able to leave her review on, on the U.S. version of Amazon. But she she basically likens um, Seasons in Perda to a metaphorical journey. And she starts out looking there's a huge dream in the story and she said she she actually wrote me and she said um two days before i read seasons in perda i was actually talking to a friend and the question came up what if you have a dream and someone's in that dream someone that you know that you're close to mm-hmm. is it both your dream and their dream too and that is one of the things that happens in seasons in perda uh, Sahel has a dream, but she also surprisingly learns that other people had that same dream. Wow. And so this, and, and one of the ways we, because uh, I, I specialize in mother-daughter work, but I also specialize in dreams as a therapist. And one of the things that, one of the basic ways that we begin to look at dreams is the dreamer is both, is both every and anything in his or her dream. And so that comes up in the novel. So this this woman um, who read the book, Divya um, Srinam, she she quotes that in her her review. In fact, I I urge people to go to my website and read her review. Uh, I thought it was a really wonderful review, um, and it captured an aspect of the book that that I hadn't really looked at in that way. I was so busy trying to just get the craft of it down and make sure people understood. But, um, you know, I invite people to email my website, and if they're interested in free copies, I'd love to send them copies. It's, uh, I think there must be something wrong with Amazon's conversion for KDP. But the book has now gone online and on sale in paperback just last week. So you can okay. get a copy, but... But anyone that's listening to the show, if they email me and just say, look, I heard about your book on um, Off the off Page, the I'd love, I, yeah, Off the Shelf, I'd love to send them a copy, you know, um, just so they can, you know, I'd love to send them a paperback copy. So, um, okay. The people who, yeah, the people who've read it are, are the reviewers are, are excited about it. You know, it's, Everything's going really slow. This has been a kind of busy year with my, my eighth grader, and I have to say I just had to kind of take my own time in Perda and step back and make sure everything was going well with her in applying to high school. And so I haven't really been able to give as much attention to the promotion of this, so I'm just kind of now getting into that. But, uh-huh. um, you know, I, my thing is the hardest thing about a story for me is writing it and getting right. the real story down and revising it. Once that's done, other glitches may come along the way, but, you know, I can, you know, I, that can be remedied. The main thing is to get the story down. And once the story's been created, 
we can, I, I, I'm, I'm patient enough to get it out there. Wow. Wow. I, 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 I've so enjoyed our interview and then talking about seasons and Perda. I mean, what, what a story, what a story. I also want to talk about uh, some of your other books, although we only have about 16 minutes left, but I, I want to talk next about, oh, and for our before our off-the-shelf listeners, before we move on, uh, Angel just said she would be, she's, She's welcomed, open to sending you free copies of Seasons in Perda. And that's generally, I think, when authors do that, the book is so good that you'll enjoy it and tell somebody else about it. So you can contact her at her website. And again, Angel's website is angelfloyd.com. It's A N J U E L L E F L O Y D.com. When people make offers to, to us, I've learned to start to accept these gifts that, that are being offered rather than constantly saying no. So I encourage you to contact her again Angel, at angelfloyd.com and, and saying you listen to Off the Shelf this Saturday, April 27th. You're their interview and then you wanted to, to receive a free copy of Seasons in Perda. And if you enjoy it, I would ask that you tell at least five other people about it if you if you enjoy um, Seasons in Perda, which I would imagine that you would. Now, Angel, I wanted to ask you about talk about some of your other books. When did you write Keeper of Secrets? You come up with some fabulous titles, in, by the way. Oh, well, that was actually my MFA thesis back in 2006. I, Along with having my master's in psychology, I have my MFA, my master's in fine arts and creative writing. And I earned that in 2006. And in my program, we had to write a, a, a thesis. You know, if we were poet, you know, a collection of poems. I was doing fiction, so I did short stories. And I had a collection, um, Keeper of Secrets, and it was four short stories, four of which came out of novels that I had written. They were based on the characters and novels, and four that I just wrote from scratch. And that was published in um, June of 2007 after I graduated the previous year. And then, of course, The House I wrote um, between 2007 and 2009, and that was published in 2010. So that was actually my first novel. Um, and um, and then, of course, I wrote Seasons in Perda. And now, and let me just say, I worked on Seasons in Perda. I, be, I began that story in 2001. So I've worked on this novel for over 10 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that was, it's, you know, I, I, I will say that I think, I could I could take that novel right now, having worked on it so long, and you know I never think anything's perfect. So I could I I could think of five different ways of rewriting it, but it is what it is. Uh, but I think, as with all stories, but but some stories more than others, they are not they're just, they're not just about you telling a story. They're also about taking you on a journey, both you know, internally as a person and as a writer, but also for you to develop and refine your skills as a writer. And I think that's what Seasons of Perda has done. With me. I think the, the thing I'm most proud of is that I stuck with it for 10 years and kept working on it. Whoa, man, I don't know if I've heard too many of <laughs> who stuck with the story for 10 years. Oh, my goodness. How does an, an upscale Bay Area african-american family how do they manage to get involved in an attempted murder an attempted murder i thought you was it not a murder in the story 
Oh, you're talking about um, in Seasons in Perda? Am I getting my books confused? Um, or, well, the house was about a woman who actually is in the middle of a divorce, and she decides she finds out her husband's dying of cancer, and she decides to um, she decides to take him back home and let him die. So, right, I know. Maybe that's, you're that's thinking, your... you might be thinking about the road to Ibadan, and that I that I haven't really put out there. I think you're thinking about the road to Ibadan. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, maybe maybe yeah. in my uh, in my in my uh, in my research that might be the one. Now, in talking yeah. about the house, I wanted to ask you, what was the most challenging and the and then also what was the most rewarding part of writing the house? You know, I think the ch- most challenging part about writing the house is that it was my first attempt at self publishing, and so everything was like, "Am I going to do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this?" I mean, it was a novel. Yes, I had a book published, but they were short stories. It was a novel. Can I, can I do it myself? Can I get it edited? And then can I self-publish it? Um, mm-hmm. That was, I think that was the hard part. Can I do it and put it out there? And I did. Um, I think the most rewarding thing goes right along with that was that I did it, and I saw that I could do it. And I was okay. like, wow, okay, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. Wow, yeah, and, and then and then to market it because I think that's the you said writing it is the hardest part for you, but I think that if if you want to get a lot of readers or you want to earn a part time or full time living as a novelist, then you have to market and sell those books in, in the house, and then in all of your stories and listening to you talk about seasons in Perda, how do you develop these complicated, multifaceted characters? Do you do book sketches? Do you do they come to you in dreams? Do you do you lean heavily on your psychology work? How do you develop such deep, enriching characters? Well, I think being a therapist, I'm always interested in character, and so for me, the hardest part in writing a book is making sure the story is constantly moving. The characters come to me very fully blown. Um, and I have to, the challenge is deciding what I need to tell in the story with regard to the plot. I mean, I could write a whole thousand pages probably on my characters. That's not what readers want. Readers want a story. And a mm-hmm. story I was just reading yesterday from Dramatic, which I think is a wonderful way of looking at story. A story is, or like the mind of a story is, really about looking at a problem and trying to solve it. But giving the reader, unlike in real life, perspective of both what it's like to be on the inside of the the situation as with the major character and what it's like to be on the outside of the situation. So, you know, as a writer, you have to really know not just your character, but the events of the story that bring forth various aspects of your character, those aspects that are particular and that pertain to the dilemma in the story. And that's where my work is, because I could give you tons of information about my character, but again, mm. story, and story is about 
the evolution of character in the midst of a dilemma and a problem, trying to solve a problem and having to make choices. Wow, and that seems like that's what life is about. And it gets harder and harder when we refuse to move forward or evolve. It's the same as it could for a character. It gets harder and harder and harder. And I guess that's as much as it's funny that they always hear humans don't like change. And I, I think animals don't like change either, to be honest with you. But they, the humans don't like change, yet that if if you refuse to change, man, can it get rough. <laughs> got it. Well, you can't. I mean, we 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 either evolve, we either go, you know, we we work our way, or we are dragged, kicking and screaming. And I think <laughs> as writers, you know, every book we write needs to change us in some way if we hope that it will offer some some change for our readers. Um, but I want to I want to go back to something that you said about the marketing. Um, mm-hmm. And I clearly have a long way to go in this, um, but I'm much more interested in building a quality product, right? Because first of all, that's what's interesting to me, and that's and that's how I am. I want I want to give my personal best. When it comes mm-hmm. to marketing and PR, I'm going to say this. Um, I know there's a lot that people can do with marketing and learning how to, you know, utilize Amazon and understand their algorithms. And I I encourage people to do that. And that's something I need to learn to do. But I think right now um, we are in the middle of a recession. And I was online yesterday doing my emails, and I don't know how I ended up on this article, but there was an article that was new as of yesterday. Mm-hmm. The owner of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, um, actually admitted or just stated that sales for Amazon are down this year significantly from what they were last year. Wow. But even, but even in announcing that. But the recession was harder last year, I think. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing that you're saying that because, I'm going to say this, and then I'll go back to something that uh, Ariana Huffington wrote. But Jeff Bezos said that even, even though he said that the sales were down significantly, and the numbers show that, he said that they were committed, but Amazon was still committed. The profits were down, but Amazon was committed to making, to increasing sales. And when I read that, I thought, okay, if profits are down, but you're, in, you're committed to increasing sales, to what it, and, and I think he actually said, whatever, by any means necessary. And I thought, hmm, wonder what that means for people like myself that are just, you know, small people. I mean, I, I have not pursued a writing or publishing contract with a publisher because I've been right. in my own kind of place raising my kids. And then that's just right. where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought, you know, what does that mean for someone like me? And, and it kind of, kind of, it kind of brought me back to. I think for me, I'm in this place where it's important for me to just focus on my craft and get some books written. And okay. then when I get to a certain point, like a like I know um, there are certain people who talk about um, 
marketing, and they will say before an author thinks about seriously marketing their work, they need to have at least four or five books under their belt. Because once you get that reader that loves your work, if you only have one or two books, you're going to lose them. So when Mm. I saw that, I went, you know, I think it's still my time to keep writing. And, of course, I have another book that I'm working on now that I just got to the point where I'm now working with my cover artist to develop that. Um, If I can share with your readers, it's it's called When the Drum Major. Yeah, it's called When the Drum Major Died. It's set between... December 1967, when Martin Luther King announced that he was going to do his People's March, and it goes right up until the day he's assassinated. It looks at most particularly one character, Florina, is set in North Carolina, but on a wider scale, it looks at her marriage and her the marriage of her neighbors and how the assassination. Um, of sex and all the things that are leading up to Martin Luther King's death and the whole the whole essence of the, that time, uh, how it affects their their marriage and kind of catalyzes some personal things. So um, I'm really excited about that book. And um, well, man, that's that's a great. You know, as an author, when you get excited about your book or you connect deeply emotionally, because if I can't connect deeply with a story. I'm like, I can't keep con- continuing with this. If I can't connect with it, then the reader probably can't. But when you really get into a story as a writer, that is such, that's such a treat. That's such a treasure. So it's good to hear that. And that's, that's for our off-the-shelf listeners, Angel's new book, When the Drum Major Died. Do you have a, a tentative release date for the book? You know, I don't. What I can say, though, is that I just last week, sent about three to four images for the book cover. And when I get to the point where I'm ready to start thinking about a book cover, that's kind of like when I'm getting ready to go into warp speed. So I would say that with this time next year, we should be, if we don't have it out, I hope to be talking on your program again about when the drum major died because it's just been released. Oh my goodness! Now other, another book, and we don't unfortunately don't have time to talk about it. Unco- Uncovered. That's another book you wrote, correct? Um, I wrote. Um, well, I only have three books out. I, I have one book on Smashwords, which is um, the Road to Ibadan. But I, those are the only books I have out. So okay, I think that must be someone else's book. But thank uh, you for trying to give that. <laughs> don't give that book away. Give it. Give it to the rightful owner. <laughs> The, the House Keeper of Keeper of Secrets and Seasons of Perda, which we talked about in depth, and I encourage our listeners, where are your books available? Right now, Seasons in Perda is available at Amazon, and I, I want to put out a, a special request. Um, I could really use some support at um, at Amazon for Seasons in Perda, and like I said, Anyone who's listened on the program or who does listen to this later on, you know, downloads it, please email me at my website, angewellfloyd.com. That's A-N-J-U-E-L-L-E, Floyd, F-L-O-Y-D.com. And I, if you just mention um, off the shelf, I will um, send you a copy of Seasons in Perda, and I would highly ask you to to leave a review if you love it and um i could 
you know, the, the economy's down. So, um, and I know that I know that that's affecting a lot of people very seriously. Um, but I'd love to give you a book in the meantime to read and um, my compliments, and hopefully that'll give you an escape. Okay, we want to thank Andrew Floyd, again, the author of the books, The Housekeeper of Secrets, and her latest book, Seasons of Perda. The new book that she's working on is When the Drum Major Died. But the latest book she has on the market right now is Seasons of Perda, and she's just offered to give away a free copy and, and ask that you would put up a review at Amazon or any other site that you 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 would purchase the book at, and then also if I always think when writers give away free copies, if you like the book, tell tell somebody else about it. Tell somebody else about it. If you could tell five other people to take you just a matter of seconds, you having lunch. Hey, I read this great book, Seasons of Perda by Andrew Floyd. I'm sure she would appreciate that as well. Want to thank our off the shelf listeners for being here with us on another fabulous Saturday, and Andrew Floyd for joining us from out in Oakland, California, in the Bay Area. I want to thank you all again for being here. And as I always tell you, you are awesome. You are so amazing. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. See you back here next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Bye for now. And, Andrew, I'll shoot you an email. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day, too.